This is the Knicks Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me today, Eli Cohen, Quinn Haynes, and of course, Sean Geddes. Guys, it's been six games since we last spoke. Our boys have hit a bit of a rough patch. Two and four in their last six. Obviously, we know we've now lost Mitchell Robinson, probably for the season with a fractured foot. And apparently, we can't score points anymore. Knicks are, over the last six games, they rank 26th in the league in points, total points scored, 102 a game, approximately. And we're just hitting the rough, the home stretch, 21 games left. So it's kind of go time. So I'll start it off with Sean. Sean, what's been the biggest thing for you during this little bit of a rough patch? Because it's been a good ride till now, but, you know, every team goes through it. But it's obvious something's going on with the offense. Yeah, it's been a very frustrating thing to have happen. I mean, one week we lost three straight, and in three, like in that week, we held teams under 100 points and lost the game twice, and I just thought that was disgusting. But I feel like we've been very stagnant, and I hate to, you know, a lot of it, I'm trying to dance around pointing toward Alfred Payton. because. Nah, let's get into it, it. let's just do it (laughs) okay here we go so in the minnesota game he completely tanked the offense in the fourth quarter like it was ridiculous he had one of the worst turnovers i've ever seen where he simply turned around and was completely facing the opposite direction of our basket anthony edwards took the ball from him dunked it on the other end and then he had another turnover that results in a dunk immediately but for that last five minutes like julius was hot at one point like he was making everything and i was like all right cool just take us home julius it was a weird game but we're good is the minute that julius randall the moment that julius randall stopped hitting everything it was pointed out that we weren't really running offense Part of the reason we weren't running offense is because we were trying to set Julius up with pick and rolls with Alfred Payton, but Ricky Rubio was going 20 feet under the screen. So you're not setting anything up for the ball handler. You're not setting anything up for the screen. You're just wasting time. We were wasting time, wasting position. And yeah, I feel like that highlights a lot of our struggles. It's not our only struggle because in the Brooklyn game down the stretch, we struggled to score. Alfred wasn't in. So we've had some nights where people are off and things like that. But I just think that you have to set the offense up in the best way possible. There's going to be nights where people are off, but you have to set the offense up in the best way possible so that you don't deal with that. Like the Dallas game, everybody was just off. There's nothing you can do about that. That's just an L. That L is not as bad if you don't lose that Minnesota game because you tanked the offense for the last five minutes. Yeah, I just want to – I'm going to kick it over to Eli in a second, but one thing we have to say on Alfred Payton, for the guys defending him, you're entitled to your opinion, but don't act like we're, like, cherry-picking stuff. You know, it's pretty consistent at this point. We don't hate Elf, and, in fact, I wouldn't even mind him playing as long as it's 10 to 15 minutes a game. Like, it's so obvious that's his limit with this team. It's just the way the roster's built just doesn't – play to whatever he does well so you're not gonna be I don't know why everyone's trying to say like oh how do you root for 
or hate a guy on a team that you root for. That's not what it is. It's just pretty plain to see. And Eli, I mean, am I nuts? Or is – I feel like we're reaching this point where some people are trying to be, like, really extra smart or fake woke that Alfred Payton's this good point guard that we're not appreciating. I just do not believe that's the case at all. Well, it's interesting because I feel like early on in the season, the people who were defending Alfred Payton were doing it by pushing back on the idea that quickly should start, which, you know, was a fair enough argument, even if I didn't agree with it. But like the, the, the way that you know that it's not like that's not the issue that like I think for most of us, we're plenty happy with Derrick Rose starting like the offense runs so much smoother when Rose is playing than when Peyton is playing. So it's not, it's not like this quickly versus Peyton issue that like some people try to make it into. It's really just like, look at what happens when it's just Alfred Peyton out there. And, you know, to like, to what Sean was saying and the, the ways that the offense bogs down, it is partly on Peyton. And the other, the other thing is though, like we've got basically RJ and Randall who are really good at getting into the paint and then just a bunch of shooters and the, you know, non-shooting centers. And what we don't have when Rose isn't getting like major minutes is people who can get into the paint alongside those two guys. And like with RJ and Randall both having career seasons from deep, obviously RJ is a young career, but still like major improvements. You don't always want them to be the only people who can get to the paint. Like if, if Burks and Quickly and Bullock aren't red hot, then it becomes what Sean was saying. Like, when no one can hit an outside shot, there's just no option other than, like, give the ball to Julius, let him go against a double team, hope that he makes it, or, you know, pull out some miracle pass at the last second. And when when the team has really been humming and when the ball movement has been going, when they've been able to, to penetrate and then kick out to players who can either shoot or attack against the rotating defense, and Rose is able to do that. Rose, like Peyton can get into the lane sometimes, but it's most like he gets his like more on cuts. Like he's an off ball player, which is ironic because no one guards him off ball. But having Rose out there can like give them this like totally different dimension that they're just completely missing without him. He's like their one sort of like quick twitch get into the paint guy, which is ironic because he's you know whatever age he is with however many tendons he has left in his knees. But like they really need, and this is something that they've needed for a while. They they need people who can like really use that quickness and get into the lane because all their guys are sort of either shooters or just like bully ball guys. Like Randall and RJ aren't getting by on their quickness; they're getting by because of the combination of skill and just like freight train strength. So Elf, he's like kind of like the worst of the of all the world. He doesn't have the quickness. He doesn't really have the strength. So what he brings is, like, he can occasionally get to the bucket and, you know, he's not even passing anymore. So what do you do? What do you do when your point guard can't shoot and doesn't really pass? Yeah, there was one possession in the Brooklyn game specifically that really annoyed me. He came down and just drove right into traffic, and Clyde just chuckled, and Mike Green was like, yeah, sometimes he takes bad shots. It's a little more than sometimes. And maybe Rose is the remedy. Q, what were your what are your thoughts on this whole elf thing and just the point guard in general, because I'm, I don't think elf is the core problem, but it's a pretty glaring problem in the starting lineup. And as from the Nets game, the closing lineup, which just the fact that he's playing a elf in closing minutes just infuriates me to no end. Even if you don't want to play quickly, I don't know why they're not doing Burks, 
RJ, Randall, Bullock, and then literally anyone else. Well, in regards to that lineup, like with RJ, Burks, Bullock, Randall, I feel like, you know, you could slide Kevin Knox in there and it would do – I just feel like at some point, because I feel like that's the issue with the offense, it's spacing. So I just, I feel like you could really add a lot of space into that lineup and still have size because you've got RJ at the one in that lineup. If you don't want it to be quickly, if you don't want it to be Rose, whatever, there's other alternatives that like you can open the floor up and that would change a lot for us offensively. I just, I don't understand. Like I said, I don't want to kill Elf because even in the Brooklyn game, I didn't understand why he was inserted back into the game. I think at the point where you look down the bench at your own six over six point guard who shrinks the floor and say, hey, get back in the game, I think that's a bad coaching decision. Um, now, did Elf made two layups? There were big layups. I, th- I thank him for making those. Um, I can't – and I've, I've really reached the point where I'm not – my beef is not with Alfred Payton. Like, if, he, if this coach subs me in, I'm going to play basketball. So that's what he's doing. Um, it just doesn't make sense, though. I think there's more creative lineups, uh, better lineups that would be more conducive to spacing the floor and giving guys opportunities. I mean, the fact that when when he needs a bucket, he goes to quickly at the end. He puts him in every time. So he, clearly he understands that quickly is better, gives you better odds at getting a bucket than Peyton does. So like the the disconnect for me, like what is happening in the rest of the fourth quarter where he's like, did, he just doesn't want those buckets. Like he clearly knows that quickly gives him a better chance for that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see why you go away from the guy who you know you need a bucket from. Like you said, like if it's 53 seconds on the clock, if it's one a one-possession game, he's putting him in. And, yes, it raises the question, okay, if you know you need this guy in the game, if you know this guy opens the floor up, if you know this guy gives you the best, like, opportunity to get a bucket, then why is he on the bench down the stretch? It really doesn't make any sense. Like, at some point, we have to – we've been saying it for a while now. Like, we're a top defense in the NBA. It's a great feeling. We're a top defense in the NBA, and we're under 500. That doesn't make any sense. You have to score points. Like, basketball is offensive, too. It is not – everybody's like, oh, like, the people – the elf truthers and all the people who act like you can't say anything. Like, well, I'm not saying Tibbs is a horrible coach at all. I think that he is going to – play himself out of coach of the year if he keeps doing this offensively because he's done a great job. We're overachieving. Um, We've, you know, we're getting the most out of guys, but it's just like, you can't be a bottom ranked offense and win. Like you, you defense is great. They say it wins championships, but those teams score too. You have to put the ball in the basket. Right. And I'm not trying to sound, I don't even know what the proper word is, the selfish doesn't make sense, but you know, I am appreciative of Thibodeau and everything he's done. Like this roster, which is largely unchanged, stunk last year, and they don't stink now. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm fed up with Tibbs. But his marriage to his rotations really just kills the team. Like he has, like it looks like he irons out a cl- very clear game plan before the game, and he sticks to it no matter what happens. And it comes back to bite him in the ass when. Like, Obi against in the Mavs game, that drove me nuts. He had nine quick points. The first time I've seen Obi lively during the regular season, he had the tip slam in the vicinity of Porzingis. He dunked on Porzingis in my mind. But he had nine quick points, and then you put in Randall, who was just not feeling it that night. It was just obvious. He finished five for 20. 
he wasn't hot at any point, but he still inserted him in late in the second quarter, and the Mavs came back and then eventually took control of that game. And then even the Nets game, this is more of me reaching a little bit, but Alec Burks just hit a step-up three to tie the game. Why wouldn't you give him that last shot instead of Randall? I know Randall's your top player, but it's just like he doesn't comprehend the hot hand. And same thing with Rose. Rose coming out of the well, going into the half was on fire. He was making everything. Then he sits most of the third because Thibodeau doesn't take his starters out until at least four minutes left in the third. And by that time, Rose is cold, and he didn't really do much after that. So it's just like the lack of the hot hand and just uh, – it's just like the lack of creativity. And I think it was Q. Q, was it you that wrote that piece on Thibodeau mixing up the lineups a little bit? It just hasn't happened. Is there a remedy to this? Hopefully you can hear me this time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're coming loud and clear. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, hopefully – I, I, he just hasn't mixed up anything yet, and it's just kind of frustrating. I don't know if there's an exact – way to fix it now that we're past the trade deadline, but I kind of feel like the solution is just putting Rose as the starter and then bringing Alfred off the bench. That way you're supplying the front line with at least another creator and decision maker. And then the second unit gets Peyton, who you can put next to Quigley and Burks and Burks can operate his own offense. Quigley can create a little bit secondarily and he can also shoot. I just don't, it's just at this point now, Tibbs is kind of stuck in his own ways with his rotation. It's just going to be tough to switch that off him. Yeah, and the other rotation that I find just, like, completely asinine. And, again, like, I'm right there with you, Mike. Like, Tibbs has been, by all accounts, a, just a good coach. The team is overperforming drastically what people thought they were. You know, they added a couple pieces, and they've been so much better than they were last year. So, like – he gets credit. He, he's done a good job turning them into, like, a functional and solid basketball team, which for a long time is a lot more than we could say about a Knicks team. But this this thing that he does where he keeps RJ and quickly, but like quickly he's going to stay on the bench for the most part of the end of the fourth regardless, but he keeps RJ on the bench until, like, the five-minute mark, at which time in a bunch of these close games – like, they've, they've lost a the lead. They've lost some kind of momentum. And he brings RJ in when it feels like it's already, like, a little bit too late. He brings RJ in for the uphill fight back up the hill when they already had the momentum. And I cannot for the life of me understand why he keeps doing this. He, like, he's held – and, like, there's times where because there hasn't been a dead ball, it means RJ doesn't come in until, like, you know, three minutes and 45 seconds left in the fourth. And, and, and like, he, he doesn't seem to adjust that and – like you guys say, he just he's very stubborn and he seems like he found like his general rotation that he wanted early on and just has been because I don't know if it's like like someone posted on our Slack, it's like the if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's like it's not broke, but it's 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 not like it's working perfectly either. Like things can be improved here. And his resistance to changing up anything at this point is very strange to me for a team that is five hundred. Below 500. We've lost, like, like, I love tips. Everything that we've all said about it. But that doesn't change. Multiple things can be true at a time. We've lost, oh, I, I want to say, a multitude of games this year for rotational issues. There's been quite a few times, I would say at least six games this year, we did not have to lose. And that's leaving a lot of them out. 
I mean, like the Minnesota game is the loudest one. The Brooklyn game the other night, there's no way you lose that game. You just can't lose that game. I'm sorry. You go into the half t- up 10, James Harden's not coming back. You've lost three straight last week. You've got a favorable schedule coming up a little bit. You can't lose that game. And back to what Mike was saying about like the hot hand and what Eli was saying about when he inserts RJ, it's all so annoying because yes, he puts RJ with five minutes in the Brooklyn game. RJ had his fair share of turnovers in the third and that contributed to them coming back for sure. Not, not avoiding that, not dodging that. But in the fourth quarter, RJ was cooking. Like, RJ had it going. He looked confident. He scored seven straight points for us at a time we needed points badly. And then we just stopped going to him. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, that's the type of stuff that helps you lose games. It doesn't make any sense. And what Mike was saying about the Obi thing. Obi scored nine points in, like, five minutes. He was, like, this is... And beyond it being a player you're developing, even if it's just today, even if we throw out everything about this kid has been struggling offensively, struggling to find his groove, and he's got a rhythm going, and now you want to build that up. No, 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 no. You're just talking about today's game. He didn't touch the ball for the rest of the game, except for one possession, like, toward the end of the shot clock where he, like, went behind the back because he was, like, you know, stuck wherever he was, and then he got subbed out right after. And it's just, like, that's a coaching failure to me. I feel like if this guy comes out here and he's on it early, like, right away, everything, energy plays. Obi was giving you everything. He was getting to the basket. He was drawing fouls. He was pulling up off the dribble, getting tip-ins, like, he was doing everything. You have to find a way to get that guy involved. Like we saw, he got a pick and roll touch in the Brooklyn game and he ended up scoring. It should have been an and one, honestly. And I was just thinking, you know, uh, Rose found him. It was a nice pass. And I was like, if, if he had more of these reps by this point, that would probably be a poster. Like if he caught that, if he was used to catching that there off the pick and like, there, I don't know why we keep using him from 35 feet out to bust zones or whatever, like, and to just rotate the ball and be an empty part of the offense. It doesn't make any sense. So there are small tweaks that I feel like could make us much better offensively. Or if you would just lean into certain things, like lean into RJ while he's hot, lean into Obi. Even if you do feel like you want to put Randall back in, try the Randall Obi thing for once while Obi's cooking, like try things. Mitch is out. Once Mitch went out, it's like, let's try some things. He's so stubborn and so rigid. And yeah, like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But like, it's it's not necessarily broke, but it could certainly use some fixing. We're one of the worst offenses in the NBA. Fix it. Try something, bro. Let's see something. And then at, let me see it and see it not work. And then I'll shut up. But if you're just going to keep banging your head into the wall, doing the same thing and losing games the same way, it's very frustrating. Teams are zoning us. Yeah, like, when they go in the zone, it's like bad. Like they're like, oh, shit, they're in zone. Fuck, we're screwed. And <laughs> just to underscore the offensive struggles, they're averaging, like I said, 102.3 points per game last six games. And that's with good three-point shooting. Because shout out to Reggie Bullock, man. I mean, we gave him some shit early in the early part of the year. He's been shooting that thing. 45.9%, bro. I got to find the air horns, but 45.9%, man. To end the half in Brooklyn was – he was great. I mean, and he's been good. He even put the ball on the floor and had a lane. I was like, oh, my God, who's this? So that's happening. RJ and Randall continue to move along. And the team's still struggling to score points. And I really do think it's just lineups. I mean, Obi Toppin, even after his Dallas game, he hasn't cracked more than 15 minutes on the court. How are you going to get into any type of rhythm, let alone using him right? And 
it's like we got a tease in the Brooklyn game where they finally used him in the pick and roll, and that was it. That was literally the only time they did it. So it's kind of like a balance of just like, are you not going to use this guy at all? And if not, just use Kevin Knox because the way they're using Obi, I know, Sean, you're a big fan of this. Kevin Knox, you're using him, you're using Obi in the way you should be using Knox, who remains out of the rotation for, I don't know why, because Knox wasn't like some duck when he came in. He did what he did. And there were points where he was just really finding his home in the corner. And we haven't seen him since. Kevin Knox has been, oh, my bad. Go ahead, Eli. I I think I'm going to say the same thing, but I was just going to say that the Knox thing has been super frustrating, which is ironic considering a lot of us had all but, you know, given up on him completely last year. But it's been really frustrating. Like, he basically came out in preseason and in the first few games and showed just about everything you could want to see from him. Not, like, not superstar potential, but just, like, good, solid NBA player potential. Like, working on defense. He's still not a good defender, but he's working on defense. He was, like, starting to understand a little bit more, starting to get a little bit of interesting passing. Actually had a little bit of chemistry passing to Obi, which, like, we could use right now because no one seems to want to pass to Obi. And like you said, like, I mean, he was just drilling shots from the corner. He's like, he's Mr. Consistency now from the corner. And like, I get it. Like the the fact that you sign a bunch of veteran wings or like, or bring back Reggie Bullock, you know, trade for Rose. It's hard to find a spot for a young guy who's still trying to prove himself. But like, like, I don't know. Like we still have to be taking a long view on this team because this team is, it's not like we're, competing for championship this year it's not like they're ready even if they make the playoffs they're not ready to be like a serious contending team so there's there has to be some kind of thought to the future too and like if Knox can help you like Burks is probably not going to be here next year he might they might bring him back and I wouldn't like hate that Bullock probably not going to be here next year but you know who could be here is Kevin Knox and if you actually spend some time like turning him into a good NBA player you might be able to like get some dividends from that, but I don't know. It, like, like I said, it's tough with, they have a lot of competent players right now, which is a problem the Knicks are not used to having. And it means that some guys get squeezed out. And unfortunately that's Knox, but I, I'm hoping that as we get towards the end of the season, I don't believe it because Tibbs has sort of shown us who he is. And that is a man of habit, but I'm hoping that we can just get like a little bit more, just like, just give him like, a few non-garbage time reps, like that's all where, you know, like give him two minutes at the end of that first half, you know, just like give him some time to play where it actually kind of matters a little bit. Right. And the confusing thing with me is Tibbs seems to have a 10 man rotation for a team that doesn't have like a good, like they don't have that go-to score. Like you can get away with a 10 man rotation if you have like Kawhi Leonard or you like the Nets have, and even the Nets don't even play that tight of rotation. but they And they have three of the best isolation scores in the game. So I don't know why he's not using the full bench here. And against good teams, against Miami was another one where Miami just played right into the Knicks being stupid. I mean, Elf came in, Miami had no inclination to guard Alfred Payne outside of the paint. They just had none. So that was already a four-on-five. It was a four-on-five most of the time. So – just little shit like that is going to pop up because while you may get away with it, like they beat the shit out of the Pistons, that's great, but the Pistons aren't going to be in these play-in games because I'm pretty confident. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here when I say the Knicks are pretty much guaranteed to at least 
participate in the play-in tournament. So you got to start thinking about postseason basketball, and that also means playing in the half court. And if it gets into the half court, it's going to be a very, very short postseason stint. The thing about the Alfred Payton thing and why it's so bad, honestly, is because once it becomes four on five, and we listen, we love him. He does a great job. He blocks the hell out of shots. But once it becomes four on five, it almost instantly becomes three on five. If we're being realistic, like Nerlens Noel is not really giving us much offensively, especially if you don't have a point guard that's setting him up. And he's dropping passes. We're not really getting a lot from him. So if the defense can already kind of leave him, once they can leave Alfred, they can pretty much just do whatever they want. Miami did whatever they want. It was like the most well-organized, unorganized trapping I've ever seen. They, they knew exactly where to be because there were so many options of where to leave. And you can't give teams options to not guard in half-court sets. Yeah, that's going to kill us in the playoffs. And I think that, be, I don't know, the people who are opposed to these things, and I say it all the time, but the people who are opposed to these things and, you know, keep giving pushback on them, I just think that we're so used to being losers that, like, they don't even think to think about playoff matchups and things like that. Like, we don't, like, you have to condition yourself, like, break free from the shackles of being a loser. Like, we can win some games, and to win some games, you have to be better. Like, they're like, oh, you can't criticize players or the coach, blah, blah, blah. They know more than you. Like, bro, the Lakers be pissed. Like, Lakers fans were pissed last year. Like, they won the championship. You're allowed to criticize players and coaches. Like, if we're not – we're under 500, bro. Like, relax. So, I don't know. But it's it's very frustrating. And I just want to throw out one thing that by the time we get to the end of the season – it's going to be interesting how we feel about the dynamic of how Tibbs ran the young players because Obi Toppin's not going to have a good enough season, I don't think, for us to say he had a good season. Kevin Knox is going to be playing under 1,000 minutes this year. And like Quiet has kept the only three guys that we're going to be able to look to under the age of 25 that really played is Quigley, Barrett, and Mitch and Mitch is probably going to play under 1200 minutes due to the injury. You know, I think a lot of people are excited about the future of the Knicks, but I also kind of have some trepidation on what this team's going to do because this team has a bunch of cap space. This team has two first round picks. I don't, I'm not sure how much I trust Tibbs in balancing out the future and the present, you know, even if we get him the right people in free agency, does he understand that this is a, a long-term play. So this season's a weird season for Thibodeau and, and for the Knicks in general because we didn't expect to be here, but I'm not too enthusiastic about how Tibbs has run things as of late. Yeah, I just think he's prepared. Like, I think he's just so used to, or at least has the expectation of being a playoff team. He, like I said, he has a very outlined game plan and he's sticking to that regardless of what happens. And Sometimes it's good because he does – I mean, he did he did well with doubling Kyrie towards the end of the Nets game, for example. And, I mean, we're not going to pile on Alfred, but that was just comedy where he waves off 
Thibodeau saying he got Kyrie one on one, and then Kyrie hits one right between his eyes. No, 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 no. We that was rough. That was rough, man. That was like at the park where it's like, nah, I got it. When like your boys are like, yo, like he's killing you, bro. You want to switch? He's like, nah, I got it. And then he kills you for game point. It's just yeah, bro. Like that's that's. And this isn't the park. This is the NBA. So that's why that play really pisses me off. Like, it really <laughs> makes me mad. Because you let your ego get in the way of the game plan. You the Doubling Kyrie was work. He was killing us. Honestly, I don't even really give Alfred much fault. Like, I, people need to stop saying he's some stellar defender, though. But I don't give him a whole lot of fault for what Kyrie was doing. Kyrie is Kyrie. Like, he's just cooking. Oh, he was in his bag. But he was in his bag that game. He was in his bag. But it's like you waved off the double when we need the double. The double is what's working. It worked on the play before that and the play after that. This is a key point in the game. And then... Not only did he wave off the double, but then after waving off the double, he didn't even really get a hand up. Like, Alfred does not put a hand up to that shot. He did one of his fake closeouts again. It's so annoying. It's like you waved off the double, you had this guy one-on-one, and you didn't even get a hand up while he's on fire. I, oh. Yeah, it's just one thing before we take a break. Just his defense overall is, like you said, completely overrated because early, this is early in the game, and it just really it caught me because it really pissed me off because I was clipping for the net game. There was one play where Joe Harris, notorious spot-up shooter, phenomenal spot-up three-point shooter, Joe Harris, was driving to the rim. Alfred thought, let me collapse on him, even though Noel was already there, and let me leave Kyrie Irving wide open in the corner. And I'll just let you guys guess what happened after that. But on that note, we'll take a quick break. Dang, and bring her three up points, it's, just it, like it was, Anthony it, Edwards did. It just killed me. Oh, my God. Ugh. He lost that game for us. Like, <laughs> he lost the Minnesota game. He gave up the game-winning three because people think he's, oh, he doubled the ball. No, he's not supposed to be there. Like, that's not how defense works. The reason the guy's open is because he's somewhere he has no business being. <sighs> I'm sorry. No, no. Let it out. It's it's It's, it's – it's built up long enough. But on that note, we'll take a quick break and meet you on the other side. All right, we're back. So, guys, I feel like a problem that's becoming more prevalent as the season moves on and these games become closer is the lack of clothes that the Knicks have. They just, against Minnesota and against the Nets, there were two opportunities to win the game. R.J. Barrett came up short in Minnesota to Anthony Edwards' pleasure. And then against Brooklyn, Julius Randle could not connect. And just one quick stat from my boy, Matt Spenley. Julius has taken 51 shots in crunch time, and crunch time, to me at least, is less than five minutes. And he's shooting 37.3% on those shots. And I'm, this is far from shitting on Julius. Quite the opposite. My take is Julius is too gassed, and he's playing in – oftentimes in a lineup that just isn't enough spacing. And as we know, Julius's favorite thing to do now seems to be to dribble to the middle and then hit that fadeaway. That, yeah, that fadeaway. So I think it's a little bit of that. But Q, do you see a bigger problem here? Or is it just lack of that score to do it? Um, I certainly think part of it is the lack of the score. I think all of us kind of want RJ to get those reps uh, late in games. Alec Burks is someone that we mentioned as well. Um, I wonder if the lineup balance is enough, especially in those last five minutes, if maybe Alec Burks 
over Bullock is a bit of a better option just because Burks, when he gets the ball, there's a little bit more dynamism. He can handle, he can, you know, take it for a pull up. He can shoot the three a little bit, just that difference. I know we want Alfred Payton out. And I think Sean said it before. He doesn't really use Alfred Payton um, as much in those late game lineups, which I, which is right. I kind of remember Quigley coming in every once in a while for, you know, like a decoy usage late in games, but Something like Quigley, Burks, uh, Barrett, Randall, and Mitch or Noel in this scenario just makes sense to me. Just multiple ball handlers. So it's not always relying on RJ getting the ball and trying to create. Julius trying to get the ball and create. I just think there's not enough of a change up there when we get into those late possessions, not to mention Peyton most likely on the floor mucking up the spacing. One thing I, I thought was interesting – I don't expect Tibbs being Tibbs to see this like for for long stretches, but uh, in, in that last game when they needed that shot, he went small and put Randall at the five, which is you know partly because Noel I think was in foul trouble, but I I, w- I would love to see a little bit more of that because like Randall can play the five. And he's he's not going to be a rim protector. We know that, but if you can get enough just like positional defense, like kind of just get your body in front of people. Like if you can have like Rose quickly, RJ, you know, you could even put RJ at the four and put in, you know, Burks in that too, to just try to have like an all offense lineup. I don't expect to see that a lot, but like the team has more options than I think we even necessarily realize in terms of like lineup building, just because Tibbs is such an uninventive lineup guy um and like obviously that that lineup i just described would hemorrhage points but if you just need you know a brief spurt like i I really wish we could see something like that where that would have such a good balance of shooting and creating and slashing so i don't know it's i I like that he did that i I don't think he had a ton of obvious like there was three seconds left but uh it'd be interesting to see if he ever goes back to that Eli, I have been begging for that. I've been, especially with Mitch out, it's just like at least try it. I get that Nolan does a great job protecting the basket. I get that Taj gives us more than you you would think Taj can give us. But I would just like to see some stretches. You don't have to go to it a lot, but you know this, especially in certain matchups. Like that's the thing about the lack of like him being inventive because there's certain matchups where it's like okay the tallest player they have on the floor. I can't think of an exact team right now or an exact Jeff game, Green. But... It was the last against the Nets. Yeah, like, you can run Randall at the five right now, bro. Like, you can you can get away with that for sure. And you can have the advantage in that lineup and then create spacing around him. And that's why I feel like we can play people like Kevin Knox. I feel like you can play Knox at the four. Knox has been sufficient enough defensively. It won't be – I'm not saying he's a staunch defender, but he's no longer the liability he once was. I pay a lot of attention to him when he's on the court. So it's just like you can have that there. You can space the floor. You can try the Randall Obi thing. You can, like you just said, putting RJ at the four. I think that RJ has the frame and build against most teams. If Jeff Green is at the five, RJ can play the four. Like you can try other things and get other lineups on the floor that are more favorable to the main people and then have – uh, yeah, then he's in better positions. Also, with at this point in late game situations, I'm kind of tired of ISOs. I feel like that's what we get every time. And not that it's wrong. I mean, Julius got a good shot. We normally get a good shot. I, so I can't even say I'm too tired of it. 
but it's like it's not really having the same effectiveness. So why don't we try to draw something up? Like somebody pointed out the play that the Hornets ran on us to beat us with uh, Devontae Graham at the buzzer. And they were like, I'd love to see something like this drawn up for IQ. And it's just like, yeah, like that would be cool. If, even if it's not IQ, if it's Burks, whatever, if you want to get a shooter, a good shot, like try something maybe off the ball to create something for somebody. I mean, I don't know. We get good attempts, so I'm not tripping too much. But at some point, we have to see some more creativity in the lineups and in the play calls at, toward the end of the games because we're struggling to close. Yeah, and in the regards to Noel, I mean, Taj has been great, and I love Taj. He's actually been a godsend because he seems to be the only guy that can give Thibodeau exactly what he needs at the center position on a consistent basis. I don't want to see Noel or even Nick Legend, Norvell, Pell, Pele, is it Pele? Pell? Anyway, I don't want to see those guys unless we're facing like Embiid or Jokic, you know, those type of centers where you can get killed down low in a crucial moment. I feel like at, when it's like less than five minutes or specifically like that, that like less than a minute where you really need a bucket, you it's like kind of foolish to not play Randall at the five. It just doesn't make much sense. And quickly, in general, you guys say he comes in late. He barely's been coming in at all. So I just I don't know what goes on in Thibodeau's crazy little head, but it's it's he's got to clean it up. When IQ was playing, he was one of the best fourth quarter scorers in the league for yeah. a, for a small stretch. So just like, yeah, you might want to play the guy who spaces the floor, hits threes, and gets to the line down the stretch of games. Right? Because how many people get nervous? Like, just at the end of games, people just tense up naturally. They're more likely to foul, and quickly is definitely the best person on that on this team that is capable of drawing fouls, and he's just. Not getting a lot of love. I don't know. Eli, uh, I know you have a quickly piece coming up. Is quickly doing something to get in the doghouse that I missed? Because it doesn't look like it takes much to get in Thibodeau's, not doghouse, but, you know, staple to the bench like Frank and Kevin Knox have learned all too well. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And it it does seem like, like quickly clearly has the shortest leash of anyone not named Obi Toppin on this team. And... It's a fascinating question because, like, I wonder at times if Tibbs, with his sort of, like, hard-nosed, gritty, like, you're, you've got to bleed for this game kind of style, gets annoyed at the, like, IQ's floaters and, like, his like, – which I think is – there's like, there is some validity to the point that, like, quickly is one of the best free-throw shooters in the league. He came in as a rookie as one of the best free-throw shooters in the league. So his complete aversion to drawing fouls is – incredibly frustrating at times because he'll he'll throw up these floaters that like go in sometimes but like dude just just draw a foul like he he's so good at drawing fouls on the perimeter and so averse to it around the rim it's kind of baffling to me and I, I don't know if it's because he you know he he's overthinking it and it's like well I'm a rookie so I'm not going to get calls but like I think we've seen over the last few weeks the decision-making process not being quite what it needs to be for quickly, which is fair. Like, that's not, like, criticism. I mean, it is criticism, but, like, he's a rookie. It's not going to be what it needs to be for a playoff team. And I, I tweeted about this the other night when they were playing Dallas. Like, this is a team that is now, like, a team with playoff ambition. It's not a rebuilding team anymore. I mean, it, it is, but as far as, like, what the coach is thinking, I'm sure how the front office is thinking about it, this is a team with playoff ambition. And... It's tough to have a rookie 
playing major minutes on a team with playoff ambitions. And like the the mistakes get magnified and the margin for error gets slimmer and slimmer. So I think that part of what's happening is kind of like natural as we get closer to the playoff and as every game matters a little bit more. And I do think we have seen quickly sort of like he's got some habits that he needs to break. Like his aversion to shooting pull-ups in the mid-range when he has when he gets the guy off of him I think like he's got to be able to take those shots and his his unwillingness to just like drive hard and get a foul and go to the line he's got to start doing that he can't just rely on on the floater every single time but you know at the end of the day like he gives them a a dimension that most of the other guys don't like only Rose really has his sort of like ball in hand quickness to just like get into the paint so I, I do wonder if like part of it is Tibbs trying to do like some tough love to be like look if you're not gonna like get into the paint like get two feet in the paint and do something well, you're gonna come out because like th- I need to drill these habits out of you but at the same time the other side I'm just like I just think he just like doesn't trust young guys and is I, like I think he might be doing this for the wrong reasons like there are good reasons for him to kind of like have a slightly shorter leash or to be trying to like teach quickly, but I'm not confident that he's doing it for those right reasons. My thing that's been so frustrating with the whole IQ thing is I feel like everybody holds the rookie more accountable than anybody else. Like, I think that, yeah, you got to hold the rookie accountable, but the vets also have to be held to that same accountability. So certain things like, yes, there's been some poor decisions made. His shot isn't falling the same way. So, like, I haven't even been as loud about, yo, he needs more minutes. I do believe he needs more minutes, but I understand that right now if he's not being as productive, you don't play him as much. But I just think that we're better as a team when he's on the floor. The ball rotates more easily. As you said, not many people have his ball in hand quickness, even if he doesn't go all the way to the basket. Just the react, the way that the defense has to react when he's on the floor, when the ball swings to him and the ball swings from him, I feel like it opens us up and helps us as an offense. And um, I also, like, Breen uh, and Clyde were, like, talking about him like he was a defensive liability. And it was really frustrating me because, like I said, I watch these games on my MacBook so I can focus very closely. And I watch Emmanuel quickly a lot defensively because people do try to make, when it was, like, the Elf versus IQ thing, they would try to make him seem like he's a bad defender. Is he small? Yes. Does he sometimes get overpowered? For sure. But is he, they were like, oh, he uh, gambles for steals and is often out of position. That's not true. And actually, that's more true of the guy they never say it about. Alfred Payton got sprayed on for a game winner by being out of position, and they never pointed out that he was out of position. But IQ switched on to Joe Harris while he was driving and was with him step for step, and then Joe Harris scored through and over him, and they started talking about what a defensive liability he was. And I just think that that kind of perception is, like, really strange, and I think that's part of what plays in with Tibbs, too. Like, he – I don't know. But, yeah, he, I don't think he's – like, yeah, it's, it's tough with a rookie, but I also believe he makes the team better. I'm, conf- I'm fully convinced MSG has sent Clyde, Breen, Wally, Alan Hahn talking points to say, hey, make sure, you, make sure you make Elf look good. Because some of the stuff they say is just like, what the fuck are you watching? Like, anytime the Knicks won and Wally likes to use that stat, the Knicks are blank, blank when Elf has more than five assists. It's like nice bro that's like you just named like six games out of fucking 40 he's just stop it's 
it's just uh, you see what this guy does to me, guys. He just really just <laughs> he really pushes the buttons, man. But it's at the, I quickly he's got to play in the closing lineup or Burks, man. And this kind of just ties back to what we talked about at the top. Use the hot hand. Like, even if you don't have a fully set closing lineup, like, we always know RJ and Randall are going to be there. If somebody's hot, just play them. Just do it. I just – I don't know why this is so hard. No, I certainly – I certainly agree with Quigley. I, I certainly wish he played more because I feel like we still – I still have questions on him. And I, it's not, is he a player type questions. It's just what – is he in the grand scheme of the Knicks? You know, I think if the Knicks are going to take steps forward next offseason and try to make moves, I would like a little bit more certainty that Quigley can handle the backup point guard role. So to not put him in there and give him more minutes, it just it leaves the door open for the question to still be there, if that makes sense. You know, and him with RJ and Randall, I think it's like a good trio. I think they're about the net ratings about eight, nine points. Last time I checked it, I think I checked it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like that trio is a good baseline for what the Knicks need to work on. Obviously you can add another shooter and another rim and a rim protector behind them, but he's someone who really needs to start playing more. And I feel like the fan base kind of has to push for it. Um and at least a little bit of the media as well, because he answers a lot of questions for what the Knicks need. Yeah, there's just no player in the last few years that just forces the defense to pay attention to him that far out. Most of the Knicks in recent years, post-Mellow, you've kind of been able to like hover below the three-point line and not really have to worry about closing out. Quickly changes that. And I don't know. Every time we're talking about it, it's becoming a topic. I'm just thinking of Carl Towns saying Thibodeau wasn't good for young players, and I'm starting to understand what he means. I don't think he meant it as a slight as Tibbs being a bad coach. I just think Tibbs has a certain expectation or certain – I don't know. Maybe he's he just looks at rookies differently than he looks at veterans. It's just something about him, that the way he's wired, just favors veterans. It's pretty obvious. But it's gonna, he's going to have to button it up. There's, there's 21 games left. Any win or any loss drastically shifts playoff positioning. And I believe right now they're in the seventh seed and they face Boston tonight. So you lose that game, now you're at the eighth seed or you could tick into the nine ten seed where you're pretty much on the skirts and close to the lottery. So it's really got something that really has to get buttoned up. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see more of it. Um, you would think that you'd have him run those backup point guard minutes. Like, like Quentin said, you got to start seeing things, you know, yes, we're here this year, but you do have to see things beyond this year. Like, like Eli was saying, we're not, you know, a championship contender. So you have to go, this is a big off season. We have a lot of cap space. We have two first round picks. Like that's more young guys to come throw in now and not be sure. Like, you know, you got to know what you're doing. Like, and I just, especially, it, it'd be one thing if it went against what's good for the team. But I think that both with this IQ thing, also with, you know, Obi when he scores nine points, getting the ball again. Um, Kevin Knox getting some minutes when he's shooting the lights out and showing improvement in the areas that you need him to show improvement in. And you can also move Randall over to the five and space the floor out. Like, I think that can help you today and tomorrow. And that's why it's annoying when it feels like he's stuck in yesterday. Yeah, I feel confident quickly can at least be, at the bare minimum, I feel like the Lou Williams type of role 
where he doesn't necessarily start the game, but he's closing it is perfectly fine. And maybe in the off season, you add a Gary Trent Jr. Who I think would be phenomenal sub for Reggie Bullock. Reggie could stick along. I'm just saying if Gary, you put Gary Trent as your starting small forward instead of Reggie Bullock, that's, you're starting to look really good. Or maybe you add one of the point guards in the draft. I mean, package those picks, try and get a Jalen Suggs or get, I'm trying to think of another good point guard. Eli, help me out. Who's a Jaden Springer, Jaden Springer. Well, I think, I don't think we need to trade up, but you get the point. There are ways that I feel like we've ironed out at least three or four positions that are locked down. I, RJ, Randall, Mitch, and then quickly. We know quickly is going to fit in somewhere in the top five or six players. So I think we're in a good space, but it's until we get there, I think it's time to like, first of all, open up that rotation and then, you know, start. Don't be afraid to be bold because like Sean said, this is not a championship team. Making the playoffs is already a championship within itself. I would give all the Dragon Balls for Jalen Suggs to be a Nick. I, 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 it's the only thing I could think of. That's why the first, that's the first name that came to mind. I know he's wildly out of range, but I mean, I think he could go a little down towards like Eli. Do you think he could slip to like four? Probably not, right? I think he could slip to four because I, I, I personally think it's like a coin flip for him and Josh, uh, Jalen Green, not Josh Green, uh, Jalen Green. Um, I just don't buy. I think that it's very unlikely that any of the top four picks are going to be traded. But I mean, the the thing is, like, I I think that there are plenty. Like Springer, for example, is a guy I think could go, could go fifth, could go like fifteenth, and be in the Knicks range. And I think that he's like really awesome. I think same thing with Sharif Cooper. Same thing with like Trey Mann. I think is a guy that you can get like in the Knicks range who could genuinely, like, I think he's super underrated, could be an awesome player. Like, there's going to be interesting point guard prospects, and I think there will be a chance. But I do think that, like, a lot of the the guys you'd be trading up for would probably be more, like, wing types if you're going to trade up into the top ten. Yeah, I mean, they, that's I still think that's their number one need, the wing depth. But the overarching point is I feel like we finally have a set plan moving forward, and maybe – there was a report that Kawhi Leonard's definitely signing with the Clippers, which I don't know why that was a report. The fact that it was a report is a little conspiracy radar to me because why is that even news? But, you know, yep. you never know when a star becomes available. And Nick Scalera actually wrote a piece today about landing that star player. I really think that's the end all here. I think that's when you could really start thinking about doing something in the postseason rather than just being happy to be there. I believe Kawhi isn't. Oh, sorry. I was just. Yeah, I believe Kawhi isn't going to Miami for no reason other than my own, you know, theories. When I see it, and not a moment before. That's all I'm saying. If they don't make it to the Western Conference Finals, he is not re-signing and shit. I don't know. I don't care what they say. Agreed. <laughs> uh, I I just think he would go to the Lakers over. I don't know. Just coming back east. I don't know. That'd be a little weird. Come be a Nick. It's it's perfect. I mean, it, I don't care if I'm being a little biased fan, Nick boy here. That's literally a perfect fit. You put him into that starting lineup, it, I really don't see any downside to that for Kawhi. Like, that's everything he needs is there. But, uh, yes. Now, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. It would really be a perfect fit. Like, RJ is way next to him, getting better and better every year. Randall as a great number two all-star. Mitch, 
being see, a defensive I, enforcer. See, I think they would trade RJ in that scenario, though. Really? Think, yeah, I feel like if you go after Kawhi, the play is the same thing that the Clippers did. And it's mm. you sign Kawhi and you trade to go get Bradley Beal and you put RJ in yep. the deal. You put RJ in the deal and you try to lessen the blow on the assets you're giving up. That way you're not exactly where the Clippers are, but I don't think Kawhi's joining in the scenario where Randall's his number two. I think Randall's the number three is fine, but I feel like you do that. I think you would push for Kawhi to come back and you make the Beal trade shortly after just to make sure he's he's happy. Man, I don't even want oh. Kawhi now. I don't even want him now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not trading RJ. <laughs> I'm really not, not though. Man, Did Kawhi, you guys get Beal mad? And Randall, though, that would be. That oh, that'd be, be like that's Nirvana. too good to be true. Yeah, that'd be that'd too be good to be true. But uh, before you guys, that reminded me. Did you guys have any reaction to RJ Barrett not being? I think it was the top twenty-five under twenty-five because I saw Colin Sexton's name there. I'm just like, uh, sounds like a lot of cap. I, I saw a couple other names. I was just like, eh, this is a little wild. Did you guys have any reaction to that? No, my only reaction was like, he's just going to keep getting undervalued until he makes it impossible for them to stop. So I'm just like, you know what, just put another, just add another little layer to that chip on his shoulder. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. He'll just like keep getting it higher and higher and keep being like the maniacal worker he is. And I think, you know, in, in a weird way, it might end up being the best thing for him. Yep. And like even seeing the way that he responded to the uh, Anthony Edwards thing where he literally just l- put a laughing emoji and he was just like, yeah, I just laughed those. Th- I think RJ is like kind of a maniac a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think Edwards <laughs> is kidding. Like Edwards, if no one's familiar with Edwards, Edwards is very funny. I think he was just talking shit like regular. I don't think he was being serious, but I definitely do think RJ was like, all right, bet. Like, I'm going to see you soon. Like, yeah, like RJ, I think RJ is a little bit of a maniac. Like, even when they asked him in the preseason, like, how he felt about being left off the Arbor team, like, most guys would be like, oh, you know, it didn't matter. He was like, no, definitely. Chip on my shoulder for sure. <laughs> like, he's, he, he loves that. He lives for that. So I, you know, they left John Moran off. They left Trey Young off. They left, uh, that was just a horrible list, honestly, in general. Wait, John so, didn't make the list? John didn't make the list either. Uh, or maybe he did, and uh, but he like he quoted it in s- saying something. Like I don't think he was on. If you quote tweet it, you're tight. Like you're not quoting like yeah. You made the list. <laughs> <laughs> That's see. I mean, it's ESPN. So I'm, I take it with a grain of salt. They just don't like the Knicks for whatever reason because they know we're gonna do exactly what I just did. They just want us to talk about it. Yep. That's whatever. Like Tatum was like the fifth on that list. I was just I I looked at it. I saw the RJ people was sad about RJ. I didn't even read it. I was gonna read it later, but yeah, I don't get it. Tatum. I will say that Anthony Edwards not knowing Alfred Payton's name is was hilarious. Hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, what he say? He said number six. Leave number six. Number six. Who's that guy? (laughs) That's that's. I mean, how can you not love Anthony Edwards? That's just perfect. But uh, before we get out of here. Knicks play at the Celtics. We're recording this on a Wednesday. The Knicks play the Celtics tonight, followed by the Grizzlies and Raptors at MSG. And the Lakers are coming on Monday night. ESPN dropped that game since every one of the Lakers is injured. They started marketing Dennis Schroeder, so they finally pulled the plug on the Lakers on national TV. But those are the next three games coming up. Knicks got to win some games, guys, because, like I said, two and four in their last six hitting that home stretch, you kind of want to get higher up that Eastern Conference playoff picture, which is very possible. Because like I said, one win can shoot you up from seven to four. So 
hopefully. And Boston's right on their heels at that eighth seed. That's right. I don't know what's up with Boston, but hey, I hope we beat the shit out of them in Boston again. That'd be really great at the other garden. So I'll tune in. Uh, Q, you have any uh, articles coming up? Uh, I do not. We got to figure some stuff out uh, in the near future, but yeah, I don't have anything coming up. We got some good stuff coming up, though. Just yeah. talking to some writers. Now, check it out, nickswall.com. Uh, Jason Buford, I believe, should be making his debut shortly, so be on the lookout for that. On that note, we will talk to you guys next time.